I'm John, and this is D-O-L-W-2, Episode 9, The Rite of Sodomy. And I'm reading from The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church, by Randy Ingle, Volume 4, pages 837 to 843. Sexual Solicitation in the Confessional. On May 21, 2002, a sexual abuse lawsuit was filed against the Archdiocese of Louisville, where Bishop Williams had worked as a young priest. The suit was filed in the Jefferson Circuit Court by 33-year-old James W. Bennett. Bennett, a former altar boy, said he was molested when he was 12 by Father Williams at the church of Our Lady in the Portland neighborhood. The year was in 1981. Bennett said he left the church after the incident and did not know that Williams had been elevated to Bishop of Lexington. Bennett said the priest groped me and kissed me on the mouth. I ran home. I was in shock. Here you are 12 years old and you have never had sex, let alone homosexual sex, he said. It ruined my self-esteem but now that I've done something about it, it's going back up. James' father believed his son's story about the assault and told James he did not have to go back to the church. However, his stepmother, who thought the world of Father Williams, did not believe him, Bennett said. Williams' immediate re response to the Bennett charge was that it was a flat-out denial. The allegations are false, he said. Williams claimed he didn't remember the young man and that he had never brutalized anyone in his whole life. He said he would continue to fight vigorously to clear his name. Under the procedural regulations to be followed in sex abuse charges against diocesan clerics and employees, Williams had helped draft. The bishop placed himself on leave pending the results of an internal investigation. He agreed to refrain from all pastoral ministry, including the public celebration of the Mass, ordinations and confirmations while the matter was under investigation. Reverend Robert Nieberding, the Vicar General of the Diocese, was selected by an diocesan priest college of consultors as an interim administrator for the Lexington Diocese. Ten days later, on May 31, 2002, the second lawsuit against Bishop Williams was filed by 51-year-old David Hall of New Haven, Kentucky. Hall said he was 18 years old and a senior at St. Catherine High School in Nelson County in 1969, when during confession, Williams began asking whether or not he masturbated and demanded details. In his suit, Hall said, that he thought Father Williams' questions were so inappropriate he decided not to attend confession again. But he said about a month later, Williams insisted that he do so. And this time, Hall alleges, Williams asked him questions about his sexual activity with girls. After Hall said he mentioned that he had been unable to satisfy a girl once, Williams allegedly instructed him to unzip my unzip your pants so that I so I can examine your penis, then grabbed and fondled it. 
Hall said that the memories of abuse at the hands of Williams were all the more painful when he heard people saying that what a wonderful bishop Williams was. The same day that the whole lawsuit was filed, the 65-year-old Williams had a meeting with Archbishop Gabriel Montalvo, the apostolic delegate in Washington, D.C., and he submitted his resignation under Canon 402, a diocesan bishop who, because of illness or some other grave reason, has been become unsuited for the fulfillment of his office, is earnestly requested to offer his resignation from office. Williams' resignation took place only two weeks before the American hierarchy met in Dallas, Texas on June 13, 2002, to discuss the establishment of national guidelines for sexual abuse by Catholic priests and religious. On June 3, 2002, the third lawsuit a third lawsuit was filed against Bishop Williams and the Archdiocese of Louisville by Thomas C. Probus. The suit charged Father, Father Williams emotionally abused him in 1981 when he was a 12-year-old at Holy Trinity School. Probus said that Williams engaged in sexual, sexually explicit talk with him when the boy came to Williams for advice for family problems. Williams asked him, have you ever masturbated? It's a wonderful experience, and when you do it, come and tell me about it, all about it. The 33-year-old probus said Williams never touched him improperly. It's just words, but it changes the way you think about people in higher places. It makes you think something is wrong with you. It makes you feel ashamed. In all three lawsuits against the Archdiocese of Louisville, not the Diocese of Lexington, the victims charged the Archdiocese with failure to discipline Williams or warn them about him when he worked in Jefferson and Nelson counties between 1969 and 1981. Attorney William McMurray of Louisville, who represented all three accusers of Williams, said that although the pattern of questioning by Williams of Hall in the confessional and Provost during a counseling session was similar. The two plaintiffs had never met each other and never met to discuss their complaints. During the initial stages of these lawsuits and more than 100 others filed by McMurray against the Archdiocese of Louisville, attorneys for the Archdiocese filed a motion in Jefferson Circuit Court to seal all future documents regarding the regarding childhood sexual misconduct. A day later, the Courier-Journal filed a motion to intervene, stating that granting the Archdiocese's request would violate the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. McMurray was critical of the Archdiocesan officials who were attempting to enforce a state law that requires the sealing of sex abuse scandals, sex abuse lawsuits, that involve children and are more than five years old. This result, Williams' resignation, would never have occurred if these allegations and the lawsuits were filed under seal, McMurray said. Pope accepts Williams' resignation. On June 11, 2002, John Paul II accepted the resignation of Bishop James Kendrick Williams. 
The bishop's formal statement of resignation read in part, the last three weeks have been the most challenging of my life. Through agonizing days and sleepless nights, I have thought about the 39 years of my priesthood and the privilege laid upon me. I recognize my shortcomings, but I believe that I have been a good priest and bishop. This makes the allegations against me all the more painful. My letter to Pope John Paul II expressed my belief that this period of suffering will make me a better person. I do not want my resignation to give any credence to the allegations made against me. I offered my resignation to the Holy Father, stating that I believe that my stepping down, the diocese believe that I stating that I believe that by my stepping down, the diocese can rid itself of the cloud which hangs over it and me at this time. Since no one knows how long this will last, I believe it is best for me to step down so a new bishop can be appointed as soon as possible. My love for this diocese is absolute. I would lay down my life for it. It has been my extreme joy and privilege to serve as your bishop. Whenever the Holy Father appoints the second bishop of Lexington, welcome him with open arms as a success successor to the apostles. Be gentle with him and love him as you love me. Is this not the course charted for us by Jesus himself? Following his resignation, Williams continued to receive support from his fellow bishops and many prominent Catholics and ordinary, peop ordinary lay people in the Lexington Diocese. Bishop Williams was characterized by his defenders as a kind, generous, personable, and caring individual. Thomas F. Shaughnessy, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Lexington said, he's a man who inspires loyalty. Archbishop Thomas Cajetan Kelly said Williams had been a brother, counselor, and friend to me for 20 years. He called the Lexington Bishop a great servant of the church and said his leadership and achievements will always be a gift to us. May God bring peace to his pastor's heart as he looks to the future. May we always remember the blessings that have come to us through his ministry, Kelly said. Bishop Williams continued to reside at his diocesan residence in Lexington until late December 2002 when he left the diocese and moved to an undisclosed location in the Archdiocese of Louisville. He remains a priest in good standing and holds the formal title of Bishop Emeritus of Lexington. Since the lawsuits involving Bishop Williams were still pending, the Sex Abuse Committee for the Lexington Diocese could take, could take no action on the matter in 2002. Nor did the committee make any formal inquiries after the cases were settled in 2003. Archbishop Thomas C. Kelly settles lawsuit. On June 10, 2003, almost one year to the day, the Holy Father accepted Bishop Williams' resignation. The Archdiocese of Louisville agreed to settle 243 sex abuse lawsuits against more than three dozen priests religious and church employees for a staggering $25.7 The settlement included the three lawsuits filed by Bennett, Hall, and Probus. 
according to Peter Smith, reporter for the Lexington Courier-Journal, although the specific payment to each abuse victim was not revealed, the payments ranged from $20,000 to $218,810, based on the age of the victim, type and frequency of abuse, and other factors. At a scheduled press conference, Archbishop Kelly again apologized to all the victims, stating, no child should ever have had to experience what happened to you. I promise that we are doing everything we can to prevent child abuse in the church. I apologize again for what we did or what we failed to do that led to your abuse. I hope that today's settlement is seen as a sign of our willingness to support you in your healing healing, said Archbishop Kelly. Archbishop Kelly has, has much soul-searching to do. In a sworn deposition given by Brian Reynolds, the Archdiocese's chief administrative officer and primary architect of the Archdiocese of Louisville's 1993 policy of clero on clerical sex abuse, Reynolds said that Archbishop Kelly never told him about previous allegations of abuse by priests and church employees of the Archdiocese. Reynolds stated under oath that he was unaware that Kentucky had no statute of limitations for prosecuting felonies. This meant that clerical crimes committed decades before were prosecutable. Attorney McMurray stated that the Archbishop routinely covered up for and moved major clerical sex offenders from parish to parish. Then there is the matter of the growth of the clerical homosexual network under Archbishop Kelly, who is known from coast to coast as one of the members of the American hierarchy most amiable to the homosexual collective. Moreover, Archbishop Kelly was responsible for the Williams appointment as an auxiliary of Louisville and later bishop of the newly created Diocese of Lexington. Williams was working in the Louisville Chancery when sexual predator Reverend Thomas Kriag was assaulting his umpteenth boy. Williams assisted Archbishop Kelly in the cover-up of this crime. Archbishop Kelly personifies the bureaucratic prelate of Amchurch. Born in Rochester, New York in 1931, Kelly entered the Dominican order in 1951. He was ordained a priest in 1958 and went on to obtain a degree in theology from the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C., and a doctorate in canon law from the University of St. Thomas in Rome, with additional studies at the University of Vienna and Cambridge University. In 1962, he served as secretary in the St. Joseph province for the Dominican order and also worked for the tribunal of the Archdiocese of New York under Cardinal Spellman. Archbishop Kelly began his ecclesiastical career in 1965 when he became a secretary and archivist to the powerful Archbishop Jean Jadot, the apostolic delegate in Washington, D.C. In 1971, Kelly became an associate general secretary for the NCCB slash USCC, and in March 1977, he became General Secretary of the Bishops' Conference. Four months later, 
Pope Paul VI made Kelly Auxiliary Bishop of Washington, D.C. The ceremony took place on August 15 at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception with three hierarchical malfeasance officiating. Archbishop Bernardin of Cincinnati, a homosexual assisted by Bishop James S. Roche, another homosexual, and titular Bishop of Walla Walla, Eugene A. Marino, the future Archbishop of Atlanta, whose two-year affair with Miss Vicki Long ended with his resignation on July 10, 1990. On February 18, 1982, Kelly was rewarded for years of service and loyalty to Amchurch with the Archdiocese of Louisville. In the Homosexual Network, Father Rueda mentions Kelly in connection with pro-homosexual political action involving dignity and the NCCB slash USCC when he, Kelly, was serving as General Secretary. On May 27, 1989, when the defenders of pro-homosexual sister Jean Gramic and Father Robert Nugent of New Ways Ministry drew up a list of hierarchical candidates for the MIDA Commission investigating the duel, Archbishop Thomas C. Kelly headed their list. In April 2003, an unsuccessful petition drive was initiated by advocates for sex abuse victims of the Archdiocese of Louisville to force Archbishop Kelly's resignation. The move followed the revelation that Kelly had protected and cosseted a serial predator, Reverend, Reverend Thomas Creagh, and had moved the priest from parish to parish where he had unlimited access to children, his overwhelming, his overwhelming preference being adolescent boys. The petition contended that Archbishop Kelly participated in the denial and cover-up within the Louisville Archdiocese and repeatedly put children in harm's way by exposing them to a known abusers. Archbishop Kelly knew about Father Triag's criminal record as early as March 1983, but he waited 19 long years before permanently barring the priest from ministry. On December 13, 2002, Pope John Paul II appointed Reverend Brownberg Ronald W. Gaynor of the Diocese of Allentown as the new Bishop of Lexington. Bishop Gaynor was ordained by Archbishop Kelly at the Cathedral of Christ the King on February 22, 2003. In his homily, Bishop Gaynor promised a new beginning for the Diocese of Lexington. Archbishop Kelly assured Catholics that Gaynor is a perfect fit for the diocese. He'll have a freshness of style and personality, said Kelly. Bishop Joseph Hart, Diocese of Cheyenne. Joseph Hubert Hart was born on September 26, 1931, in Kansas City, Missouri, to Hubert and Catherine Muser Hart. He has one sister and a brother, also a priest of the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph. He attended parochial grade school and high school and in 1948 went to Rockhurst College. 
He attended St. John's Seminary in Kansas City for a short while before changing to St. Minerid Seminary in Indiana, where he completed his training for the priesthood. Father Joseph Hart was ordained on May 1, 1956 for the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, Missouri, where he served as priest in a number of parishes and then joined the chancery staff. His ordination as an auxiliary bishop of the Diocese of Cheyenne took place on August 31, 1976. Bishop Hubert Newell officiated and Bishop Charles Helmsing and Bishop Michael McCullough cited earlier in connection with the cover-up of Bishop Anthony O'Connell assisted as co-consecrators. His appointment as Bishop of the Diocese of Cheyenne, Wyoming, came on April 25, 1978, and his installation took place on June 12, 1978, at St. Mary's Cathedral. As the Bishop of Cheyenne for more than two decades, he served on the all-important NCCB Administrative Board and represented Region 13 for six years. He also served on the NCCB Committee for Priestly Life and Ministry. Bishop Hart was a member of Conception Seminary College's Board of Regents from 1979 to 1984. He ordained 25 priests during his term as the ordinary of the Diocese of Cheyenne. My reading today on May 7, 2021 is from The Right of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church by Randy Engel, Volume 4, pages 837 to 843. Please buy her five-volume set from www.newenglepublishing.com and see for yourself the thoroughness of her research and correctness of her views. And you may start your own podcast as we have and contribute to our fight against church corruption and perversion. She struggled for 17 years researching and trying to get those volumes published, and they are certainly worth your time in reading them. I want to begin by talking about my colleague and friend Teresa's mentioning of the children's book, There's No Such Thing as a Dragon, by Jack Kent. In her DOLW3 Podcast 4, that is along the lines of Alan Cohen's book, The Dragon Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And I joked with her about that, yeah, said, yeah, he moved in next door to me. Anyway, the boy in the story found a little dragon in his room that was as small as a puppy, but grew and grew until it filled up his whole house and walked away with it and his mother kept denying that there is such a thing as a dragon, even while it was filling up her house and walking away with it. The father had to go after the dragon and kill it, and I suppose try to get the house back since she didn't read that far into the story. Many times, the same as that mother in the story, people deny up and down the reality and truth of things when there is all kinds of evidence for it and the opposite of their denials is staring them in the face. I'm honestly not making light of this subject or her relating of that story, but my colleague and friend Mike believes that we should put some humor 
in our podcast in order to put some sugar in our medicine to make it go down easier. As the song in Mary Poppins says, just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar, some medicine go down in the most delightful way. Satan will carry the church away the same as the dragon in the story carried the house away if people continue to deny his existence and ignore his work in the world. Satan is even more obvious than the dragon in that story. When Godzilla, a dragon, went traipsing through Tokyo, or once in a movie by that name came ashore in New York and carried away a house on each clawed paw instead of just one covering his body, there were no Japanese or New Yorkers. New Yorkers who were saying that he didn't really exist or that he had gone somewhere else or was really Puff the Magic Dragon or that it was the Japanese and New Yorkers who were causing all that destruction in Tokyo and New York and then scapegoating Godzilla for it. Godzilla even terrified Japanese people to such an extent that it made them speak out of sync and their words kept coming out after their mouths had stopped moving and they had to call in Mothra Rodan, a giant red-haired forest Bigfoot and green-haired sea-dwelling Bigfoot and two tiny six-inch Japanese girls singing to overcome it because there weren't enough giant prehistoric monsters to suit them and cause destruction and singing always kills dragons. Satan is, ca Satan is causing more problems death, misery, and destruction than is a giant imaginary dragon traipsing around New York or Tokyo once in a while. And so there is far less reason to deny his existence or think that he is just being scapegoated for things that we are actually doing than there is for that dragon in the story. By their fruits, you will know them. Where it works for Satan too. And we can know that he exists by his fruits and that they aren't all the work of human beings, which is beyond their ability or in, and inclination, especially if self-preservation is the foremost human instinct, unless they are being led by an enemy into all that behavior, thinking and speaking. When we don't see or hear about a tornado, hurricane, or earthquake happening to a place, we can still tell by the destruction that are left behind that it was there. Likewise, are not seeing Satan and his demons with our eyes. Don't disprove their existence as long as we can see the destruction, misery, and death that they have left behind and continue to cause every day. The bottom line is that pederasts and homosexuals don't belong in the church as long as they are here just to continue in their sins and promote their agenda and turn the church around to their way of thinking any more than anyone else should be in the church if they are just here to go on sinning, the same as they do in the world, and make the church no different than the world. The church is for those who want to overcome their sins and turn their lives around with God's help and experience metanoia. When independents, homosexuals, and other sinners decide that they, should, that they want to change their lives and turn away from their sins, that is when they should come into the church. But until 
they decide to do so, they should stay out in the world or join churches already accepting homosexuality and pederasty or start their own churches that approve of that and go on sinning and not drag their worldliness and sinning into the Roman Catholic Church. My attempts at humor here and singing are intended to sweeten the medicine and because I'm doing this podcast by myself without other people here to bounce my ideas off of and with which to joke around and interact. And now a reading from the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. 7, 2852 for the deliverance of the whole human family. The Lord's Prayer continually opens us to the range of God's economy of salvation. Our interdependence in the drama of sin and death is turned into solidarity in the body of Christ, the communion of saints. 2851, in this petition, evil is not an abstraction, but refers to a person, Satan, the evil one, the angel who opposes God, The devil, Diabolos, is the one who throws himself across God's plan and his work of salvation accomplished in Christ. 2852. A murderer from the beginning, a liar and the father of lies, Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. Through him, sin and death entered the world, and by his definitive defeat, all in the creation will be freed from the corruption of sin and death. Now we know that anyone born of God does not sin, but he who was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world is in the power of the evil one. The Lord who has taken away your sin and pardoned your faults and also protects you and keeps you from the wiles of your adversary, the devil, so that the enemy who is accustomed to leading into sin may not surprise you. One who entrusts himself to God does not dread the devil. If God is for us, who is against us? 2853. Victory over the prince of this world was won once for all at the hour when Jesus freely gave himself up to death to give us his life. This is the judgment of this world, and the prince of this world is cast out. He pursued the woman, but had no hold on her. The new Eve, full of grace of the Holy Spirit, is preserved from sin and the corruption of death, the Immaculate Conception, and the Assumption of the Most Holy Mother of God, Mary Ever Virgin. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Therefore the Spirit and the Church pray, Come, Lord Jesus since his coming will deliver us from the evil one. 2854. When we ask to be delivered from the evil one, we pray as well to be freed from all evils, present, past, and future, of which he is the author or instigator. In this final petition, 
the church brings before the Father of all, before the Father, all of the distress of the world. Along with deliverance from the evils that overwhelm humanity, she implores the precious gift of peace and the grace of perseverance in expectation of Christ's return. By praying in this way, she anticipates in humility of faith, the gathering together of everyone and everything in him who has the keys of death and Hades, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Deliver us, O Lord, we beseech you from every evil and grant us peace in our day so that aided by your mercy we might be ever free from sin and protected from all anxiety as we wait the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's all I have to read from or comment on about now. So I'll end it here. May God bless this podcast and may the Holy Spirit use it to touch people's hearts. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.